the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. I uh, hope you're having a blessed day. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you have just tuned in, uh, this is Let Us Reason, and I'm your host, Al Fadi. And uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been going through a series with our dear brother, Sam Shimon. And we today, we're just going to take a breather. We're going to give him a breather also. And uh, I want to revert back just to doing just quick updates for you ministry-wise and also regarding some of the uh, Facebook posts. Regarding the ministry, we praise God for your prayer and your support. Uh, our uh, website, sierrainternational.com, uh, is launched now for about a year, but we have more and more content in there. Again, it's Sierra, C as in Charlie, C-I-R as in Romeo, A as in Apple, sierrainternational.com, one word. You can always go there, of course. Look at the many videos that we have, both in Arabic and in English. And at the same time, there are many lectures in there. Many uh, There is a political section that has uh, many of my Fox News interviews, so you can get my political views related to ISIS and radical Islam. And at the same time, you can connect with me through that website as well by emailing me, and uh, either me or my team will respond back to you. Then we also just launched our YouTube channel, officially uh, YouTube channel and it's under youtube.com forward slash Sierra International once again C as in Charlie C-I-R-A International one word and you're going to see multiple uh, videos and multiple series in there one of those is a recent interview that my brother David Wood interviewed me for about 20 minutes about my own testimony in a Q&A style praise God the last I checked, it has more than 72,000 views just since we launched it about two weeks ago. So please feel free to uh, share it with others. But we encourage you, of course, to uh, subscribe to our um, uh, YouTube channel because that will keep you posted with any uh, new videos, which we will have lots of videos that will last throughout the year as we continue to add, of course, we'll keep you posted on that. Now, another element that we're using to reach out to our Muslim people, and sometimes pr- uh, I, w- I would admit, provocatively, I'm reaching out to them by helping them see the errors of their way, or at least the things that they're being taught wrong. And by posting very provocative, basically, posts, of course, uh, we're respecting them. We're not trying to uh, uh, humiliate or anything like that. That's not the intent. The intent is just to help them think through what is being shared. And simply because I grew up as a Muslim and also I know the Arabic language, I have access to the Quran in Arabic, I have access to the different variant text readings of the Quran, I have access to commentaries, I have access to many Arabic sources. With that said, I always like not to hoard that knowledge from myself 
what good does it do me? I want others who are working among my Muslim people to be aware of it, and I want my Muslim people in particular to open their eyes to these devastating realities, might I say devastating lies, that they've been living throughout of their life. My prayer is that the Lord will open their eyes to the truth, that the scales will fall off their eyes, that their mind will begin to understand, and their heart will soften to know Him as the only Lord and Savior. Now, here is a recent post that I posted in uh, June 26. June 26, the post I called it, which is part of a series I called The Quranic Dilemma. And here I'm emphasizing variant text readings of the Quran, and I focused on the very first chapter of the Quran known as the opener, Al-Fatiha. And it's uh, Q number one, of course, Quran uh, chapter one or Surah number one. Anyway, you look at it, all of this, of course, applies to this very chapter. And um, basically, I was alluding to a post that I did earlier, uh, and that, that post, uh, I will give you the date for that. That post was actually dated in June 24th. So just within two days, the post in June 24th basically had two images, one on the right and one on the left. And uh, both of these, basically, the one on uh, the, uh, uh, on the uh, left uh, is known as the Cairo Quran or edition, uh, which is the 1924, and the one on the right is known as the 1909 Turkish or Ottoman, basically, edition. And it's of the same chapter, chapter 1. Yet if you look at it, the way the diacritical markings were applied are, are different. Opening the door, of course, for possible mistakes in how to interpret certain things. Now, keep in mind, many of the Muslims who went and visited the, the, the post or argued back, basically, they are making the statement that there is no difference between the two. While I agree with their assessment looking at this, the problem that I'm trying to raise is this. Did you catch the dates? One is 1909. One is 1924. They still have different ways of writing, which is called resm, writing the orthography, basically, of the words, and different way of even doing the diacritical markings. Up until recently, we're still having issues. In fact, the 1924 Quran, uh, known as the Kyrene Quran or the Cairo edition, became the official copy of the Quran. Notice the Quran was revealed in 610 AD. It was 1924 before we have finally an official edition. And then in 1985, the king of Saudi Arabia, King Fahad in Medina, began to publish the same thing and known as the Medinan Quran now, or King Fahad Quran. So look how many years has passed since the Quran was first revealed until finally we have something called the formal or the, uh, the standard edition. But that doesn't mean we still don't have issues related to different ways of reading the Quran. So in the follow-up post, the one I did in June 26, basically, I showed a couple of images related to this very chapter, chapter 1, showing the color-coded 10 different readings of the Quran. Yes, you heard me corrected correctly. There is a color-coded Quran that basically points out certain words in every chapter, Sometimes some uh, pages don't have anything in them. It's read in one way. Sometimes they have multiple colors. And I even posted a schedule right underneath it in Arabic intentionally 
because I want my Muslim people who do not speak Arabic to see for themselves that they lack even the basic and simple way of understanding the Quran they believe in because now they have to rely on someone else to translate the Arabic to them so that at least they can understand what's going on. Now, the schedule that I posted shows color-coded for all the 10 different readers. Who are they? There are different individuals that read certain words in the Quran differently. And right there, I pointed out that the very first problem appears in verse 3. The word basically in verse 3 talks about God being either the king over the day of judgment, Melik, basically, as some of the readers will read it, or Malik, the possessor, basically, of the day of judgment. So, even the way it's written, orthographically speaking, Malik will have an additional alif, basically, right after the meme, meaning you have M-A after it. Malik doesn't have that alif, it's M-L immediately. Malik, king, certainly means totally different thing than someone who possesses the Day of Judgment. For God to be the king of the Day of Judgment means one thing. For him to be the possessor of the Day of Judgment means another. In fact, here is another way. You can even read it, Malaka Yawmuddin. He was given possession for the Day of Judgment. You see the theological implications here? Who gave him? the possession of the Day of Judgment. Are we talking about God, or are we talking about someone else? If I go to the Bible, Jesus says, the Father gave him judgment over mankind. Are we talking about Jesus here? I have no problem if the Quran is affirming that Jesus is the judge who received the authority to have judgment over mankind. But that's not what the Quran usually affirms. The Quran actually denies many of the Christology of our Lord Jesus Christ, many of his divine abilities, many of his at least uh, prerogatives given to him according to the Scripture. So the purpose of this series that I will continue, of course, to post more and more and more images like this with problematic readings is to help my Muslim people ask themselves this question. Muslims believe the Quran was revealed from heaven. The Quran was preserved in heaven for all of eternity. But yet, we come across a tradition written in the Hadith collection stating that the Quran has different readings. Some will say it's seven different ahruf, seven different readings. But we don't find any verse in the Quran that even says something like this. Why would the God of the Quran be silent on this? Because as the Quran was being read and as Islam is being spread and more and more, Non-Arab either were forced to convert or embraced Islam in the early formative years of Islam, basically middle to uh, late uh, 7th century. Many of the non-Arabs were reading some of these words in Arabic in a broken, basically, way, and uh, they didn't really spell it out correctly. They may interpret it differently. But the Quran was not written at that time with any diacritical markings or even dottings. As a Semitic language, by the way, the Arabic language is dependent on what we call teshkil, that's the diacritical markings, and dottings, tanqit, basically. If you put dots in certain locations above 
or below words, and you put diacritical markings in certain way above or below, then the very reading of the word can change. Look at the word Malik, for instance. I just mentioned it. Malik, king, Malak was given possession. You see, it's a slight change in how I pronounce it. Change the entire meaning of this. Yet my Muslim people are, seem to, to act like as if it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Here is why it's a big deal. If it's preserved in heaven, then which reading was preserved in heaven? And if you tell me all of these readings are preserved in heaven, then present your evidence from the Quran. Don't tell me a hadith collection and a hadith tradition, which, by the way, hadith were written 200 years later. Don't tell me a man-made written tradition is what you are relying on to interpret the divine word of the God of Islam. That's why it is basically important to hammer down this issue. We're not talking about the way it's read today. We're talking about how was it read back then. Here's another issue why this diacritical marking is important. First, the Quran was revealed in 610 AD. Then Muhammad died in 632. Up until that time, for 23 years, the Quran was never put together as a complete codex or a book. It took two more years after that, by the order of the first caliph Abu Bakr, to finally put it together as a book. Let's call it the original book. And the book wasn't used after that. It was just kept in the house of one of Muhammad's wives. And then, 20 years later, the third caliph Uthman began to receive reports. As his troops are expanding the territories of Islam north, he received reports basically from areas like in modern-day Iraq and modern-day Syria claiming that soldiers in these areas are starting to have scrimmages with one another, fighting with one another, because each one of them is reading the Quran in a certain way according to their own dialect and accusing the other of corrupting the Quran. So Uthman decided that now he's going to bring that original copy that was kept in the house of one of Muhammad's wives and recollect the Quran a second time. And then decided to use one specific dialect, and that's the dialect of Quraysh, which is spoken by the Prophet and his tribe. And he said in that tradition, if Muslims want to use tradition, then I'm going to use the exact same thing. The tradition says Uthman told the committee that is about to collect the Quran, says that the Quran was revealed in a Quraysh dialect. Notice He didn't say it was revealed in multiple dialects. He said it was in one dialect. Therefore, we're going to write it in this dialect. And then after his collection was finished, he says, burn all other surviving dialects, including, of course, later, the original by another caliph was obtained and destroyed. And the reason was given is that I'm afraid that if we keep it, people will begin to worship the book rather than the God of the book. What a lame excuse, by the way. What a lame excuse. Nevertheless, so the Quran was written now under Uthman's uh, Uthman's order. Still, the resm, which is the way you shape the letters and the words, didn't contain any diacritical markings or dottings. Guess what? You guessed it right. More problems evolved over the way to read the Quran and not to make mistakes by reading a word in a different way. It wasn't until towards the end 
of the 7th century by uh, someone by the name Abul Aswad al-Duali who invented the dotting system. If you put a dot or two above a letter, it can, you can read it in a certain way versus putting a dot or two below the, uh, the, the letter or if you put a dot or two next to the letter and so on and so forth. But then people began to even confuse more because some letters naturally have dots. Sheen, Shah in Arabic, uh, looks like Sin, but the Sheen has three dots. Sin has nothing. Ba and Ta in Arabic, the Ba has one dot below and two dots above. Tha has three. Jim and Kha. Kha has a, ta, uh, a dot above. Jim has a dot in the middle. Ha has no dots. And the list can go on and on and on. You get the idea. People were looking at it and say, oh, is this a fa? Is this a ka? Is this a jim? Is this a ha? And therefore, more confusion. It wasn't until the middle of the 8th century, someone by the name Al-Farahidi. Okay? Al-Khalil ibn Ahmad Al-Farahidi. He's the one who invented finally a tashkil that we know today, the diacritical markings, which contains fatha, dhamma, sukun, kasra, and so on and so forth which finally was utilized, but still, the problem never ceased to exist because we know that there is at least 20 different readings of the Quran based on the 10 traditional variant text readings or ahruf. Notice, 10 ahruf, 20 transmitters, and therefore you have 20 different ways, at least officially, you can read the Quran. You don't believe me? Just Google these things. In fact, lately there has been a video that is circulating around by Jay Smith showing 26 different Qurans. So don't tell me, please, that there is no problem with this. Here is why there is a problem. If Muslims don't say that the Quran is preserved in heaven for all of eternity, that it is preserved today in exact same way the way it was revealed, that whatever we read today is the, exactly the way it was revealed for the first time. If they don't say any of these statements, then there is no problem. In fact, it will be silly of me to even bring up things like this that the Muslim community doesn't even consider an issue. But when you tell me that the Quran today is read in the exact same way as it was revealed by Gabriel from heaven to the Prophet of Islam, and that when it was written by Uthman, it's exactly the same one that we have in our hand today. That's a real silly claim, because I have just proven to you, according to Islam's own traditions, there are different ways to read the Quran. So my question is, which way was it preserved in heaven? Which reading out of these 10 different ahruf was there? Which one out of the 26 that I just mentioned were up there? Therefore, it's incumbent upon my Muslim people to go and examine the evidence. My job is to bring them forward and help them see it for themselves. If they have an issue with me, I'm sorry. I'm just reporting to you. I'm helping you see for yourself. You have basically the sources. Go and inspect them. It's up to you to decide, really, if what I'm sharing with you is true or not. This information in today's modern-day technology are all over the web. You do not need me to discover things like this. In fact, in the past, maybe I would have told you that only a handful of people have exclusive uh, access to these things. Today, my goodness, you can find it everywhere. You don't even need to read Arabic. 
to see for yourself the problems in how the words were written and how the diacritical markings are different. In fact, I will continue to post things like this. So I just want to mention this, that variant text reading is problematic. In fact, if uh, you are familiar with uh, someone by the name Arthur Jeffrey, Arthur Jeffrey says that one time he was in Egypt and he has access to Al-Fatiha, the same very chapter that I just mentioned to you. And this Fatiha, basically, he says that he had access to, was written uh, in different ways and was also read in different ways among Egyptians in his day, among Shia in his day, and therefore uh, it is virtually impossible to say that we have the same Quran that was revealed for the first time to the Prophet of Islam, because if that's the case, then we do have a serious, serious problem. In fact, you have someone by the name Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, who is one of the closest scribes to Muhammad. He actually, in his own collection of the Quran, ended up with 111 chapters. Modern-day Quran, by the way, the 1924 and later the 1985 Quran that we have today in our hand has 114 chapters. Ibn Mas'ud says, this Fatiha, the first chapter, is only a liturgical, basically, chapter. Therefore, it's not actually a revealed chapter. It's just a prayer. He didn't even include it in his Quran. He has 111, basically, chapters. Another one by name Obay ibn Kel, basically, Obay ibn Kaab, sorry, Obay ibn Kaab. Obay says that he has 116 chapter. Obay ibn Kaab says he has 116. Notice two more chapters than the one we have in our hand today. So, just by virtue of inclusion and exclusions, not to mention ways to read it, and of course the color-coded 10 readings, Quran, all of this is a huge problem. So my appeal to my Muslim people is to take these posts seriously and let's lay aside this mocking because if you're mocking me, you're not hurting my feeling, by the way. I'm only doing my job. I ache for you, actually, that instead of taking time to investigate, you're just wasting your time by going rounds and rounds. It's a no-spin zone when you come to my Facebook, by the way. I assure you, if you try to distract, I'll delete your comments because I have no patience for distractions. You either stick to the point or step aside because we need some serious, serious people who are looking at these issues seriously. Hopefully, this update was helpful to you. Of course, once again, you can always connect with me through my uh, uh, website, which is sirainternational.com. That's C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A, international, one word, sirainternational.com. Another way is to send me private messages through my Facebook, which is basically Al-Fadi, A-L-F as in Frank, A as in Apple, D as in David, I dot Sira, C-I-R-A, Al-Fadi dot Sira. Or you can go also to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Sira International. Through all, throughout all of those, you will be able, of course, to have access to the material, ability to communicate back with me and share your thoughts. Or even if you have specific questions, 
uh, by all means, I am here to serve you and help you as much as I can. And you can always, uh, as uh, we hope, encourage you to share these posts with others. And if you are an apologist, we welcome you to join in basically by corresponding with our Muslim friends and help them basically realize the gravity of these kind of issues, and especially when they venture into Bible, New Testament, Christology, and all these claims that unfortunately they use to distract from the real issue. Once again, this is Al-Fadi. You've been listening to Let Us Reason. And as always, thank you so much for partnering with us in prayer and in support. Until we meet again, have a blessed weekend. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.